0: Sometimes it's inevitable to give in Sometimes that's the only way to begin Sometimes hitting the ground with your face down is the only way Sometimes that's how you finally feel okay
1: Hello and welcome to the Japan Distilled Podcast We're very glad that you have joined us again And if it's your first time, then please check the site And see if you find anything to your liking I'm your host, Christopher Pellegrini, recording in my new and improved booze closet in Tokyo. You can check it out on our weekly live stream called Show Tuesday. And with me, as always, calling in from Fukuoka, Japan, is my co-host, Stephen Lyman. We are both certified shochu and awamori professionals, published authors, and we prefer our martinis very, very dry, bone dry, arid, like the desert. We've been exploring the wonderful world of Japanese spirits for more than a decade and are excited to share them with you through
0: this podcast. Steven, how are you doing? I'm doing well as always, Christopher. As I was reflecting on this episode, I remembered the first time I tried gin, to my recollection. I'm sure I had had it before. But my first focused effort to drink gin was shortly after I moved to New York City, and I decided... You know, New Yorkers are sophisticated and I wanted to be one of those people. So, I went to the Oak Bar in the Old Plaza Hotel and had my very first ever gin martini. And I was with my dad. (laughs) Mm. I'm sure he wasn't sure what to make of me having a gin martini at the Oak Bar. Wow. That's a rather auspicious start. It was, and it really did kind of send me into gin for a while. It's something I, I explored for a short time uh, before other alcohols caught my attention. <laughs> oh, boy. My first experience was,
1: with gin was oh, kind of I I didn't even think about this until you mentioned first experiences, but it was when I was very young, and long story short, we were throwing a surprise 40th birthday party for my mother, And in order to hide the fact that there were going to be a lot of people at the house, my father hid all of the booze in my closet, in my bedroom. And my mother found it. And she was (laughs) apoplectic. Now, I couldn't (laughs) spill the beans. I couldn't tell her what was going on, you know, because then she would know that there was a party coming. So I just took it. And dad had to go along with it, too. I got punished pretty severely. And it was a rather unpleasant about 10 days to two weeks before the big day. She felt horrible afterwards, but, you know, whatever. But I was a little raw from the whole experience because I had been grounded. And so on the day of the party, I was like, well, I'm going to at least try some of this crap now that I've done time for
0: it. (laughs)
1: And unfortunately for me, the bottle I decided to sip was slow gin. And that was an experience that I was determined not to repeat for quite a while. I was 12 at the time um so you know i wasn't prepared for that but uh i guess that was a pretty clear indication that i wasn't ready for that particular type of gin and gin for me from the start was a a mystery i guess we could say a very fiery mystery but yeah my my start wasn't quite as nice as yours was yeah
0: i mean i think i was in my 30s when i had my first gin martini <laughs> A little bit different. Okay. Yeah. Martinis weren't really a thing in, in Florida and Alabama where I had been living before. Uh, it was much more, as I mentioned previously, uh, rum down in Florida and then get, getting into whiskey a little bit in, in Alabama. So yeah, gin gin came late for me. But that's that's quite a story. At, at 12, I can't imagine you'd be ready for any spirit. <laughs> Fortunately, I wasn't. Uh, I ended up going into beer
1: after that, as you know. But uh, yeah, anyways, I mean, today, gin. <coughs> um, so let me set a little bit of context here for everybody out there who's been paying attention the last four months, basically, the last seven episodes. We've tried to get our listeners up to speed on the traditional Japanese spirit, Honkak shochu, And before that, we talked about Awamori as well. And with a lot of that work out of the way, we've got more episodes, of course, coming up very soon. But let's take a breather here and switch gears and focus on... Japanese interpretations of western spirits and in this case of course that happens to be gin. But before we dive in, if you've been enjoying the show, please tell other like-minded drinks fans about the show and you know, as always, ratings and reviews, ratings and reviews, ratings and reviews are incredibly helpful and appreciated and they of course make it easier for other drinks lovers to find us. So, yoroshiku onegaishimasu. And uh yeah,
0: yeah, I think the ratings and reviews are absolutely helpful. I I check periodically, and we're up to twenty reviews on iTunes. So thank you to all of you who have uh, taken the time to to write sure. write something and give us a five star rating. Very very much appreciated, and we hope others will cons- consider doing that if you enjoy the show. And actually, in feedback from listeners, one of the gins that we'll talk about a little bit on this episode was actually suggested by a listener. So if you have spirits, Japanese spirits, that you're interested in and you want to hear about and you want us to talk about, let us know. Reach out to us. We're always happy to engage. So thanks a lot. Yes, and we're we're happy
1: to engage on Japanese gin as well. We like gin. Gin likes us. I mean, of course, it's a distilled spirit in which the primary flavor or aroma characteristic is juniper berries. And actually, this is kind of interesting. In doing research for this episode, I was really Glad to learn that it was I don't know what I should say I can't I don't know if I should say my people, but it you know the Italians who are most often credited with first distilling alcohol
0: with juniper. Am I right? As far as we can tell, in the research that I did, I found several references that su- suggested that Italian monks were distilling wine that had been infused with juniper berries as an elixir as early as the 11th century, technically a tincture. And this was not necessarily meant for the enjoyment of the patient, uh, but I guess it was a good way to get someone to take their medicine. (laughs) But it was really the Dutch who popularized gin uh, a few hundred years later, Uh, but they called it uh, Geneva. And today, Geneva and gin are definitely different animals, but they arise from the same tradition. But back in the 1500s, when we have the first records of Geneva, it was a malted grain distillate that had been infused with juniper berries and sometimes other herbs or botanicals uh, to make the the raw pot distilled spirit something worth drinking. Uh, But it was still predominantly considered a medicine. It wasn't really for enjoyment. And I guess mm. this got me thinking, as we've talked about with shochu and awamori before, you get one shot through the still to make something enjoyable right? when you're using the grain, the sweet potato, the cocoa, sugar, whatever your base is. And that's all you've got to express with, right? And it sounds like the Dutch went a different way and they started adding these botanicals, these uh, herbs, spices flowers all sorts of woods and things like that to get i guess berries as well to get a drink that tasted good or was palatable so i guess the western tradition went in a different direction when they were using a pot still before still technology had refined to the point that it is today Mm. but it was really during the 30 years war that the english first discovered geneva uh And it was actually as a way to calm themselves before battle. And that's where the phrase Dutch courage comes from. Ah. They would have a little sip of Geneva before they went and fought the Spanish in the 30 years war. Um, But the big break for Geneva actually came, at least in England, came in 1689 when William of Orange uh, was crowned King of England. Uh, King William was actually Dutch and he was having a tiff with the French at the time. So he heavily taxed and actually for a time outlawed the importation of French cognac and other French alcohols. And Dutch Geneva was the natural alternative. And then he also encouraged home distillation. He basically said, look, why are we buying it from somebody else? Let's make distilled spirits. Nice. And so basically people just started making essentially gin at home. And very quickly, the the word Geneva was Anglicized. The word Geneva actually means juniper in Dutch. And so the English just shortened it to gin. And that's where the name came from, because Geneva had no meaning uh, to the English. Distilling saw a rapid increase in popularity under William's reign, to the point where a pint of gin cost less than a pint of beer, hmm. and that wouldn't change back. Beer wouldn't become less expensive until 1830, more than a hundred years after uh, after this time. So, for more than a hundred years in England, a pint of gin cost less than a pint of beer. Is that the sa- around the same time when it was called Mother's Ruin, or did that come later? Ah, uh, that's a that's a good question. I didn't. Uh, that may be where that came from. Gin developed a horrible reputation because of this, because this is what all the drunkards would drink, right? It became the drink of choice for everyone. And the trouble was with all the home distilling. People were adulterating with whatever they wanted. So there was sawdust. There was. Uh, all sorts of poisons basically ended up in these home gins. Yikes. People frequently went mad, like actually went crazy from overconsumption of these adulterated gins, and, and many people died. And there are horrible stories of people who became hopelessly addicted to gin and ended up uh, harming themselves or their families or their loved ones or other people. So it really had a miserable reputation. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of the reputation that Kasatori Shochu ended up with after. Uh, World War II here in Japan hmm. and uh, we'll get into that in, a, in an upcoming episode but the gin was really that's um, at, at some point became looked down upon. By 1743, which was about 30 years after the end of William's reign, the average English adult was consuming 2.2 gallons of gin per year for every adult in the country. Now, that doesn't mean everyone was drinking exactly 2.2, there were probably people drinking zero and people drinking much, much more, but that's a that's a huge amount of gin to be consumed. <laughs> <laughs> so, now this was a time when uh, gin was less expensive than beer. Water wasn't safe to drink, right? This is back when you had frequent cholera epidemics and all sorts of problems like that. And so, people were drinking beer, or they were drinking gin. And uh, fortunately, gin's reputation does begin to improve with the introduction of the coffee still in 1830. And so, in a very short time, we went from this really often adulterated gut to this beautiful, aromatic, clear spirit uh, we know and love today. And of course, that was also because regulations were brought in and you had to have a distiller's license to make it. People weren't allowed to make it at home anymore. But when they introduced that law, actually, uh, it cost, I think, 50 British pounds sterling to get the license, which was a, an exorbitant amount of money at the time. So, only two licenses were originally issued. And then... Uh, sort of a cottage industry rose up, which was if you ratted out your neighbor who was still distilling illicitly, you got five pounds, yeah. which was a lot of money at the time. <laughs> so so people started ratting each other out <laughs> and it ended, it ended up sort of killing the whole home distilling uh, tradition in England at the time. Um, but that clear aromatic spirit that we get from a coffee still uh, which is a continuous distillation, but it's it's much more elegant than what was being used earlier in gin production when they were using pot stills. Uh, that is what gave rise to London dry gin. And that is today the predominant style all around the world. London dry gin is now being made. Uh, and it's not called that because it's necessarily made in London, but that's where it first uh, became popular. Basically, the rules for London dry gin is that all of the plant material all the vegetables or herbs or things all the organic materials that are going to be used to to flavor the gin have to be in the distillate before redistillation okay so you can't add anything to it afterward which is actually kind of like shochu Mm -hmm. right with shochu what you see is what you get and so with london dry gin the distillate has not been adulterated after distillation uh and that puts it in uh a different category from what's called what's now known as old Tom gin, which sometimes has sweeteners or other things added to it uh, after distillation. Hmm. That's all incredibly fascinating. It's
1: really interesting to me that gin was such an integral part of various societies in different manners and in different styles across Europe. And it clearly has, is having its day right now. How does what, what's the story in Japan?
0: I, I don't really have any idea. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> okay. there's, there's really no history. I mean, seriously, nobody was thinking about Japanese gin five years ago. Uh, the Kyoto Distillery, which was Japan's first dedicated gin distillery, only opened in 2015. And they released their first brand in 2016. So we're talking five years ago. When Kinobi was released, right? Sure. And that's the first Japanese gin that anyone paid attention to outside of Japan. And uh, I think they were early movers in trying to define what Japanese gin would be and what it's become. So, in addition to the juniper, Kinobi is made with yuzu, which is a citrus, bamboo. It's actually bamboo fronds, the leaves, not, not the actual stalk itself. Uh, green tea, uh, ginger, and hinoki wood, which is uh, Japanese cedar. Hmm. Uh, And they did it right. I mean, it's a really nice gin. It's really well balanced. And the way that they make it actually is they make six different uh, macerated distillates and then they blend them to get the perfect expression. Because in some years, maybe the hinoki has a stronger aroma and maybe the bamboo has less aroma. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then they can balance it out and get a consistent blend every time by... Uh, changing the ratios so they they do that in a, in a little bit different way than a lot of gin makers Well, they'll throw everything in at once and then distill and they were they were uh, really well funded they were founded by the folks who made a fortune selling off uh, single cask bottlings from the uh, shuttered Karuizawa whiskey distillery mm-hmm. and they used that fortune to build the Kyoto distillery right uh, and then they ended up hiring a young man named Alex Davies uh, from the UK to run it and I think he was 27 when he joined them so he's he's like the head distiller for the Kyoto Distillery at the age of twenty seven, which is just wild to think about. Yeah, and it's it is beautiful stuff. It is, it is. But of course, the big boys immediately jump into the fray, right? Uh, <laughs> we we have an expression we sometimes use, which is "moving at the speed of Japan," because sometimes it takes so long for decisions to be made uh, in this consensus model that is often uh, how that often drives Japanese businesses, but. When 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 a company needs to shift, they will shift. And uh, the same year that Kinobi's was released, Suntory did what Suntory does, and they went and bought Sipsmith Distillery in London. <laughs> they were like, "All right, we're going to learn how to shortcut. Yeah, we're going to learn how to make gin. We're going to buy that distillery." Uh, and a year later, they released uh, Roku Gin, uh, mm-hmm. which Roku means six in Japanese, so it's a play on the fact that it has six uh, botanicals. And then in 2017, Nika introduced the Nika Coffee Gin, uh, which is made because it's made with a coffee still, not because it's made with coffee. Right. And But today, everyone seems to want to make gin in Japan and outside of Japan, right? No kidding. Yeah,
1: I mean, the, the shoju makers are definitely on top of it. There's got to be, I don't know, there's got to be a good dozen or so companies that are making gin these days. I mean it's It's at the front of everybody's mind, it seems when you talk to distilleries down in Kyushu, so what's coming up next and they're like, oh, we're making a gin. Oh really? what a surprise <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um it's it's a I guess it's just something that they figure they can pull off pretty easily, given the flora in Kyushu and then their expertise in distilling anyways, so maybe it's low hanging fruit for them, no pun intended. uh Kyoya. In Miyazaki, a distillery that both of us love, was definitely a pretty early mover with their yuzu. Is it yuzu ging? I always uh, good. Question. I always I asked Watanabe-san that once, and then he gave me an answer, and I forgot yuzu gin, yuzu ging, uh, which is a play on words in a couple of different ways. Yuzu, of course, is the citrus, as Stephen mentioned before, but it's also it's the alternative way to read. Abura-tsu, which is the it's the port, right in that area of of Nichiran. Right. and so you could you could call that you could Abura would be you like oil and and Su could be zoo, so it uses play it two ways there. What else? And that's that's made with a sweet potato shochu mm-hmm. base, which is kind of cool. It is right they're, because
0: they're distilling y- a sweet potato shochu, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I when I talked to Watanabe Shacho about that, he said, "You know, we're just using something that is familiar to people outside of this country, so that we can talk about shochu. It's going to start this conversation, and that was one of the rationales for going down this path." And yeah, it was around the same time that that Kyoto Distilling was getting into it when he first started it. His his bottles are far less plentiful than Kyoto's are, but um, and then. In terms of the shochu base, you've got wakashio in and sata soji in Kagoshima that are both using sweet potato shochu as the base. And then they also, interestingly, forego all of the citrus that is very common in Japanese gin. And they do a juniper-only mm-hmm. expression. Both of them have their own version of that, which is really interesting. We've tried them both, and they're it's all good. In fact, I, it, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like for wakashio's expression there were four different iterations of that am i wrong
0: i th- think you might be right I'm, I'm not recalling exactly how they did that but i i know that the the uh the one i'm most familiar with was the juniper only did they blend like four different maybe that's what it was juniper only distillates maybe that's how they did it
1: i think maybe you're right i remember they we met um we met s- them at our shop uh, in Fukuoka before we closed it and they, they tasted us through the gin and it was, it was really, it was a very interesting experience just because I'm not accustomed to drinking Japanese gin that doesn't have that citrusy, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, fluffy cloud over the top of it. Sure, But yeah, then we, you know, Komasa in also in Kagoshima is making, gin several different expressions i think they just released one that is made with strawberries they've got the Komikang. there's a green tea expression and of course down in okinawa too there's a ton of different bottles that have come out different labels that have been released over the last three or four years and those are often made with an awamori base and again all very interesting
0: all worth a second sip anything i'm forgetting here Well, I think uh, up in Fukuoka, uh, where I'm based, the Shinozaki Distillery has been making a lemongrass gin that was their first foray into this. Right. And it is lemongrass.com. It is, (laughs) I mean, I'm not sure it qualifies as a gin. I mean, if there's no, yeah, the juniper is kind of hiding in there somewhere. It it hides so deeply, but it's so lemongrass. So it's very refreshing, you know, in a a gin and tonic or with soda, whatever. Uh, But the juniper is just so reserved, Uh, but they did taste us on their second experiment, which I think is much more juniper forward. A lot of other botanicals, the lemongrass is cut way, way back. Uh, So, you know, again, it's early days with these shochu makers. I'm sure that they'll keep experimenting until they get something that they like and that their consumers uh, respond to. It's not necessarily in Kyushu and it's not necessarily a shochu maker, but in Hiroshima, which at least counts as Western Japan, there's sakurao, uh, which a friend of the show, Greg the St. Maurice turned me on to. It's a solid, well-balanced gin in the London dry tradition, basically. It's like a London dry gin. Really beautiful packaging. And interestingly, it actually has oyster shells in the mash bill, uh, ah. which made me immediately think of oyster stout. But then, of course, oysters are a re- uh, really popular Hiroshima food uh, delicacy. So, I yeah, guess so. that's kind of terroir. <laughs> I guess so. The shells, though, that's really interesting. Yeah, a- yeah. That's a that's a curveball. It is. It is. It it was an interesting uh gin. I wasn't sure what to expect from it because I'd never even heard of um gin being made in Hiroshima, but uh I enjoyed it. Um anything else you're thinking on on the gin front, Japanese gin? Yeah, I'm actually drinking
1: a very interesting gin from Nagasaki prefecture and it has a hell of a story. You turned me onto this with a Facebook uh, or an Instagram post that you forwarded to me. Uh, a couple of months ago mm-hmm. and it's called Dennoshin 1812 Extreme Juniper is the subheading here Extreme Juniper and it's got <laughs> it's got a great little story to it 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 harkens back to the time when the Dutch traders were still populating Dejima which was that uh human made plot of land just off the coast of Nagasaki City or what is now Nagas- Nagasaki City and it's where the Dutch traders had to stay there. I, I don't think they were allowed across the bridge into the city more than once or twice a year. and Certainly not without permission. Not without permission, right. absolutely. And and they, of course, were importing gin for their own enjoyment. I don't know, probably using it for trade as well in, in limited circumstances. But apparently there was a time when the the trade route was cut off or pinched and they couldn't get their gin. And so this guy, Shige um, Dennoshin, Decided to make a gin to just to be nice, I guess, to as an overture to his—I don't know—his equal part on the other side, who is Hendrik. I don't know how to pronounce this. D o e f Duff Def. Not sure. Maybe I apologize (laughs) to all of his uh, relatives, to all of the Netherlands, (laughs) to the entire country. (laughs) But the it's called Extreme Juniper because. They used way too much juniper. It was just, it's it's very medicinal, I guess. And I'm sure it was way worse, the one that they had back in 1812. And so this particular distillery in Nagasaki Prefecture, it's called Kinokawa, and I believe they are mostly a sake brewery. Mm-hmm. They decided to resurrect this type of gin from way back in the day, and, and they use what they determined to be three times the amount of gin normally used. I don't know what that's compared to necessarily. But it definitely has a very, very strong juniper nose. Huh. And I love this story. I love that it's a, a resurrection of that gift to
0: the Dutch traders. That is a fantastic story. Uh what's the what does Ex Express says? How are you drinking it and what's the flavor profile beside beyond Juniper? I'm I'm sipping it straight. It does have a lot of sweetness to it, and I'll read the ingredients
1: off the back off the side of the front label. It's only one label actually. It's Macedonian juniper, which is where most juniper in Japan is from, Macedonia. And coriander from Morocco. It's got angelica, which is a a permitted shochu ingredient, but this is made in Croatia. It's got um, Kumamoto-produced jozo alcohol, so brewer's alcohol. So that's a kōrui or a basically pure spirit. And then also honkak Shochu that is made by Kinokawa Brewery. Mm-hmm. And then also Zarameto. So, that, that's the, basically the cooking sugar. Uh, Kikaijima makes a lot of that, actually. It's it's basically low-rent kokuto okay. that's been chopped up very coarsely and used in cooking. So, it, it definitely has some, some added sweetness and the, the sugar content gives it a pretty round mouthfeel. I wonder if
0: that's where the color comes from. It's very possible. It, yeah, I, I think they would have to. Okay, and it, so maybe they're adding the sugar after distillation to to soften. You know, it. I don't really.
1: Yeah. So I don't know if the the sugar because it is a a brownish or a darkish sugar. It's it's not that dark, okay. honestly, because it's it is refined quite a bit, and it's uh,
0: maybe that's where a lot of the color comes from. That sounds like it might. And actually, back in the day, Geneva often had sweeteners added to it. I think that's not how it's done in modern. Geneva expressions, but I think Geneva used to be much sweeter uh, than it is today. At least uh, early gins were in 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 London as well. So it's it's very it's a very
1: interesting drink. I it's kind of nice actually, and I think I want to try it with bubbles soon. Um, hmm. But drinking it straight, it's definitely got plenty of Jupiter. Uh, Jupiter. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure it would be lovely on Jupiter, but it has lots of juniper in it.
0: Nice. How about I'll, you? What are you drinking? Uh, I'd like to try that. Uh, I'm actually. Uh, going with our friends at uh, Osuzu Yama Distillery. Oh, nice. Osuzu Jin, this was their first release. It actually says Edition Original uh, on the front label. And this is in Miyazaki, also where uh, Kyoya is. This is further up the coast uh, toward northern Miyazaki. They're also the uh, owners of Kuroki Honten, uh, so makers of uh, Hyakunen no Kuroku and several other really well regarded shochu brands. They ended up making their own gin. It's a beautiful, beautiful bottle. It actually has a glass stopper. Uh, and this is 45% alcohol, 700 ml. So, it's actually probably designed for export to Europe. And the botanicals are juniper, obviously. Sancho, which is uh, basically Japanese peppercorn. It's like uh, it's a little bit numbing, so it's almost like the uh, Sichuan pepper. Yeah. Not quite as spicy. It's not quite as... I love it. Pronounced as well. I do too. Then it says local citrus uh, without dictating what kind and there's several local citrus in, in Miyazaki, uh, ginger, sakaki, and then I love this, it says umami. <laughs> <laughs> so, they don't want to tell you what where the umami comes from. I'm guessing the umami is coming from a shochu base. It's probably coming from the koji distillate that was used to make it. Uh yeah. But I ended up drinking this in a in a style that's a little bit unique to Japan and I hope that this breaks out because it's a beautiful, beautiful way to drink gin. And that's the Gin Sonic. Yeah. So, unlike gin and tonic, uh, Gin Sonic is gin, soda, and tonic. So, you're basically cutting the amount of sugar from the tonic water uh, with soda water to lower the calorie count and to make it not quite so sweet. And... It's a, it's a really lovely way to drink it. It's it's very refreshing. This gin is super balanced. It's really really uh it's it's right down the middle uh in in a very nice way. Uh really nicely made. I think the interesting thing about this tonic water in Japan does not have quinine. Right. So there's basically no reason to drink it. <laughs> <laughs> quinine is is not permitted in japan it's considered a, a medicine so you can't uh put it into something that you can buy on grocery store shelves or in, in a convenience stores. uh so you're i mean and the whole reason that the gin and tonic came about was because tonic water was actually developed by Schweppes back in think in the 1800s uh and included quinine and the reason it's called a tonic is because it's medicinal uh and it was actually intended for British sailors, as they went on those, you know, expanding or protecting the British Empire and all that that entails. And of course, there was lots of gin available on the ships. And so they began mixing the gin with the tonic water. And you add a slice of lemon or lime, and you've got a protection from scurvy with your vitamin C. So it really ends up being quite medicinal or healthy for those sailors as they're traveling around the world. That's where the gin and tonic came from. But then. Again, as I mentioned, in Japan, we don't have any quinine in the tonic water. So, you're really just getting the sugar, I guess, a little bit of flavor. Uh, So, I really do enjoy the gin sonic as an alternative. Sure. I usually drink my gin now. If it's not going into a martini, I'm drinking it as a gin and soda. Uh, But I wanted to see how Osuzu played with uh, in a sonic and it's, it's quite nice.
1: So, maybe this is a good way to close it out. What's your garnish of choice
0: for a martini? It really does depend on my on what I'm in the mood for. If I'm feeling decadent and you know, and, and the place has it, like a blue cheese stuffed olive, oh. is pretty pretty strong. But then there's times when I just want a pickled onion, you know, something very very light, or a, or even a twist. There's there's times when I'll go with a twist. Usually, like in the summertime, I guess I'll go with a twist in my martini. Hmm. Okay, A little citrus. Yeah. How about you? I'm mostly just in. I love olives, so just.
1: Go ahead and, and spear as many as you can on that little <laughs> stick and I will take all of them and I'll take anybody else's at the bar who doesn't want it. So there you go. Just roll them
0: over yeah. my way. Nice little bar snack. They are. What, I mean, what are your thoughts about Japanese gins generally? Because they, they do express differently, I think, than American craft gins or English gins. I think they
1: are a little too citrusy in, in many respects. Many times it's just too much of the, the citric acid that is presenting first and foremost. And you just lose the the ginness, the gin spirit, the soul of it. And while there are some that are really balanced these days, I guess I'm still a little bit scarred by the early days of Japanese gin, which was like sucking on a, on a,
0: a big orange fruit. How about you? Yeah. I mean, what I do find interesting is there's a lot of experimentation going on right now. Yeah. There is a lot of attention to trying to use Japanese botanicals. Which and is so, great. as I mentioned with with uh, Kinobi, you know, they've got ginger, bamboo, green tea, Hinoki. There's, uh, as we mentioned, the sansho pepper. Uh, I've heard of gins made with uh, shiso leaves, Yeah, which is very aromatic. Uh, even like, I think Roku, the Suntory gin, contains cherry blossoms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it does yeah. doesn't it yeah and then uh there's, there's a gin i can't remember the name right now but it actually it expresses pine because they put pine needles in the in the uh there you go yep yeah. in the in the gin really right now i think it's just trying to see what works it's a time of intense experimentation really i mean we're in the early days it reminds me of um the advent of the sort of the craft beer scene in japan back in the mid nineties when it finally became legal to make craft beer. Right. And then everybody was making craft beer. Yeah. Right. You threw a rock and you hit a craft beer brewery in Japan and, and a lot of it was pretty bad. Yep. Right. And, you know, it sorted out. Now there's some really excellent beers being made in in Japan, uh, craft and otherwise. And I, I think Japanese gin will get there. I mean, with the shochu makers, you're looking at people who have long traditions of single distillation of really beautiful spirits. We'll figure out how to use botanicals in a second run through this still, right? Sure. I think so. And I do think for all the citrus that there is, and I agree with you, that's certainly one of the things that it probably is and should be a criticism of Japanese gin is that it is just so much citrus. But Japan has so much uniquely Japanese citrus, especially down here in Kyushu. Each prefecture seems to have one or two or even three different citrus that are their local things, right? Very true. I mean, there's a reason why the mandarin orange is sometimes called a satsuma Mm -hmm. in other countries because kagoshima grows a lot of them and so i kind of understand why so much citrus is being used but i agree that finding that balance like a little bit of citrus is nice too much citrus is a little too much yeah and i you're right i'm sure
1: they will find that balance and especially when they try to export more and they find out that the juniper isn't apparent enough to actually be called a gin in some precincts so they're going to have to reformulate but i think the the focus on local ingredients is going to be huge i think that's going to be necessary to really establish japanese gin as a category and i actually have heard and i'm not i can't really say the name of the distillery necessarily but there is at least one distillery that is experimenting with or they found a provider a source a farmer who is harvesting local um juniper so that's Mm -hmm kind of cool. That means they may be able to source 100% of the ingredients locally. And that I am very interested in trying. I think that would be obviously given the, as you referenced before, their expertise with this distillates, that it isn't very difficult to imagine that they're going to crack the code and
0: and knock a couple out of the park here very shortly. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, hopefully for some of these shochu makers, the gin can help help float them. You know, as domestic sales are down and imports haven't really started ramping up yet for those drinks, if they can make gins that people will respond to, then that can can help them carry on, soldier on. All right. Well,
1: I think we can wrap it up. That was pretty good. Okay. That was. So, thank you all very much for listening. We would also like to remind you that we are continuing to wake up early and do our Japan Distilled Show Tuesday live stream which goes straight to our Facebook page and our YouTube channel simultaneously. That's 10 a.m. Japan time every Wednesday and that probably is going to work out, currently works out to be 9 p.m. on the East Coast on Tuesday, basically the night before and we do that every week. So, please tune in if you're interested in learning more about Japan's Indigenous spirits, especially Shochu and Awamori. And if you're interested in interacting a bit more, which I'm always down for, then you can find me at Chris Pellegrini on Twitter and
0: Christopher Pellegrini on Instagram. Stephen, how about you? Where can people find you? Well, you can find me at Japan Distilled on both Twitter and Instagram. I'm I'm running those accounts. Uh, I also recently changed my personal Twitter handle to Lyman Tweets. So hopefully uh, I can avoid needing to spell and explain Danji. Every time <laughs> I, I say I'm Shochu Danji, I'll miss it, but I think it's, it was time for a change, as I'd mentioned on previous episodes. And obviously, we don't really recommend our books this time because neither of us have really written about Japanese gin. I have two pages in my book uh, devoted to the Kenobi distillery, but I don't think that really warrants picking up a copy unless you want it for other reasons. Yeah, and when mine was published, it wasn't really a thing yet. That's so. right, that's right. And uh, But really, if you do have thoughts about Japanese gin, uh, hit us up you know let us know what you think uh what do you like about it what don't you like about it which brands do you like what are you curious about and of course other things that are on your mind I'd uh, love to hear from you i enjoyed this episode it was it was fun getting a little bit outside of our wheelhouse and and uh hopefully i mean i learned a lot just doing research for the episode and hopefully our listen, listeners did as well
1: yep so if you can get it, get your hands on a bottle of japanese gin to check out some of those citrusy notes while they last then please do so and tell us what you find. Tell us what you like. And until we meet again next time in your podcast feed, this has been Christopher Pellegrini and Stephen Lyman reporting to you from Japan and to all of you out there around the world, a very hearty and heartfelt kanpai. Kanpai. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Distilled Podcast. This has been Christopher Pellegrini with my co-host Stephen Lyman. Our theme song is Begin Anywhere by the very talented Tomoko Miyata. Audio engineering by the incomparable Rich Pav, who also edits the fantastic Uncanny Japan podcast with Teresa Matsuura. Please give that a listen as well if you're interested in Japanese fables and ghost stories.